Oh, hello, you wonderful human, and welcome to today's episode of the No Wellness Wankery Podcast. You never know when I'm going to sing a jingle, and today <laughs> was your day. In the background, you can hear that giggling person is the incredible Maz Compton, who's radio personality. She's a mum, and she's also the person who I've been building something called Booze Break with. And we wanted to talk about your experience with booze, why you gave it uh, the middle finger a few years ago. So welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show, Maz. Thank you, Lindy. I thought you were going to call me your bestie for a sec because I feel like we've spent so much quality time together curating an amazing program that I'm so, so, so proud of. And it's been, it's just been a real treat hanging out with you and getting to know you and Les. It's so, this is just, you know, like the icing on the cake for me. Oh, love icing on cake. I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> um, Maz, for anyone who doesn't know you, yeah. can you take us right back to why the F did you ditch alcohol when literally it's everywhere and this mm. is how people schmooze, you know, it was, was eight or nine years ago that you were like, nah, I'm done. Yeah. So in 2014, so let's go back, wind back the clock, 2014, I got into a situation with my life where I drank every day without fail, but my life wasn't chaotic or leaving Las Vegas. You know, all those sort of images that movies conjure up about people that have alcohol use disorder or like raging alcoholics and they're homeless and unshaven and they have no shoes. I had heaps of shoes, right? Like I had a really great radio contract. I was earning loads of money, getting flown around the world, interviewing rock stars and pop stars, living my best life on paper. But I was drinking every day. And I think at the time when I look back now, I was very disconnected to what was happening in my life. And there was a level of dissatisfaction, a level of imposter syndrome, and I just didn't feel right about me. And so instead of dealing with those feelings, I drank alcohol, especially Pinot. And it got to a point, so there were probably two big events in 2014 that were my like wake up call. I won't say rock bottom. I think we need to rethink that. I didn't have a rock bottom. I had like a couple of red flags and then I decided to draw a line in the in the sand. So red flag number one was my friend Carly um, was having birthday drinks on a weekend. I was like, are you coming to my birthday drinks? And internally, I was like, that is the last thing that I want to do because I don't want to drink alcohol, but I don't know how to socialize without it. Yeah. Like I like you as a friend. I think you're divine, but But, can we do it in another way? Correct. But I didn't have the awareness to even frame it like that. So all I could say was, sure, babe. And, but internally like hating that. And so that right there was a disconnect. I was then putting myself into a situation that I didn't want to go into, but I didn't know how to navigate without alcohol. So I was either going to go to the party and drink, which is what I didn't want to do, or I was going to stay home. And to be fair, I probably would have just drank wine by myself anyway, by that point. So lose, lose, right? So this sort of started my sober curiosity. This was when I was like, why do I drink? Why can't I get through a week without booze? Or I could get through maybe two or three days, but then something would happen that would make me drink, whether it was Jerry in accounts or whether it was a bad day or a good day or I had a win or whatever, there was always a reason to drink alcohol and I didn't want to do it anymore, right? So this sort of conflict, this internal conflict became really apparent. So 
Fast forward from Carly's birthday to September 2014 and really tragically and very unexpectedly, my manager, Mark Byrne, passed away. And I got a phone call to say that he had died and I was just, I'd never felt anguish before, but I felt like someone had taken my legs out from under me when that happened. He was not just a manager. He was my best friend. He was like a bit of a fill-in dad. There's a whole dad backstory on me. And it was just like, I was so broken and so lost in this moment. And what do you think I did? I went to the bottle shop and I got a bottle of wine and I drank myself silly because I didn't know how to process emotions. Mm. And that was the next moment that I was like, okay, Maz, whenever anything happens in your life, whether it's good or whether it's awful, the only way you know how to cope is to drink alcohol. There's got to be another way because I was feeling like shit all the time. So I was waking up feeling like crap, going to work feeling like crap, and then drinking myself silly because I was feeling like crap. And I was just stuck in this cycle and it was debilitating. But I was still going to work. I was still functioning. I was still friendly. I was still like, everything's good in my world. But internally, like not having a great time. So after Mark's funeral, I really landed on like, I just, it's like that echo from my mother that said, she used to say, she used to say a lot of things that have stuck with me. But one of them was, if you keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, that's the definition of insanity. And I felt like I was going insane. So what I decided to do, and this wasn't helpful, so don't do this, but I Googled, am I an alcoholic? And then I read the description of, and look, to be fair now, we wouldn't even use that word. It's not a helpful word at all. We use words like alcohol use disorder. But at the time I said to Google, hey, Siri, whatever, am I an alcoholic? And I read it as like a medical description of the term alcoholic. And then I read a little bit of the AA manifesto. And I was so annoyed because it turns out I wasn't an alcoholic. And I was searching for a label. I was searching for a box to put myself in. And I thought, if I'm an alcoholic, that's great. I can go to rehab. But I wasn't. And so I didn't know what I was. So I kind of went on a mission to figure out what alcohol meant to me and could I exist without it. And after a few months of like ruminating on those thoughts, I landed on change the behavior. Let's take a bit of time away from alcohol. And that's how you ended up doing an alcohol free experiment, right? That is exactly what I came up with because I couldn't really figure out what to do. And so like knowing mum, like yelling in my brain, change your behavior. I was like, what's the, do you know what's funny too, Lindy is like just the stories that we tell ourselves to justify our position is so wild. And so I remember at one point I was like, okay, I've got to change my behavior. I'm going to be a vegan. (laughs) More food restriction. That's what I need. That's probably not going to fix that whole drinking issue that you've come up with. I was like, okay, I'm going to stop buying shoes. And I like came up with like four or five things that I thought the change of behavior would be enough. But I really was just trying to convince myself that, yeah, change was going to be hard. I didn't want to actually stop drinking, but I did. Mm. So eventually I got to a point where I was like, hey, Maz, why don't you stop drinking? That might fix the (laughs) drinking problem you have. Let's give that a whirl. (laughs) Uh, Just a side note on this whole kind of idea, we can go through this phase of, 
hating on ourselves and having really shitty self-esteem and going through a period of going, oh, like I just feel awful. I know something needs to change. Mm. And I think diets are so often positioned to us as like, this is going to fix you. Yeah. And whether it's vegan or cutting out carbohydrates, because we see these glossy like transformations of someone who are like sad and depressed before, you know, they're always frowning in the before photo and the after photo. They're like, I'm so happy. I'm thin. Hooray. And I think that that's all wrapped up in diet culture. And And, you know, I'm not pro restrictive eating, but I do kind of think there's a difference between alcohol and food, which we can talk about that a little bit later. But here you are experimenting without alcohol. And what did people say? How did they react to you? Yeah. So this was really interesting. So going into what I decided to do, I was like, January 1's a great day because I've got plans New Year's Eve. So, <laughs> one last hurrah. Yeah, yep. And I gave it a good nudge. And so on the 1st of January, I stopped drinking and it was so easy because I was really hungover. And I was like, this is a cinch. I had pizza for lunch. I stayed in the air conditioning all day. Um, and then the next day was pretty easy too because I was jazzed on the fact that I'd gotten through a whole day without alcohol. And then day three sucked and day four sucked and day five sucked. So you had to sit with the suck. I had to sit with the suck and I'd never sat with the suck before, Mm. right? And that's, you know, I don't want people to go into, you know, a season away from alcohol thinking that it's going to be roses because it's really challenging. We drink for a reason, right? And for me, it was... It was because I couldn't feel my feelings. I was thinking my feelings. And so I was soothing. I was managing pain. And I had no other way to do it. Like alcohol became my multi-tool of coping. So I sat with the suck for a few days. But after I sat with the suck for a bit, I love that expression, by the way. I've just said it 20 times and it's awesome. It's yours now. You're Thank welcome. you. Thank you. It'll be on T-shirts soon, available on my website. Um, no, I sat with those emotions and then I started to kind of work through some stuff and figure some stuff out about me and maybe why I had gotten to a point where alcohol had become my secret best friend. Mm. And I will be honest, I missed alcohol in that month because everything that I did in my life was attached to alcohol. So I had to change a few things. Like I changed a lot at once in a way. So I stopped drinking, but then drinking was such a part of my persona in media that I still had to go to sales events and parties and whatever and not be the person drinking. That was a big internal reframe. You were a host on MTV. like Uh, Yeah, back in the day. Back in the day, right? So you kind of have to be this schmoozy personality, got to go meet celebs, be cool. And what have we learned to identify as being cool? Well, drinking alcohol, sex in the city. Totally. Totally made me think that martinis with the girls was how I would be cool and have fun. Yeah. And what I found out is that it is possible to have fun without alcohol. Holy shit. But I wasn't sure, you know, like that was me rolling the dice, you know, heading into that month without alcohol. I was like, oh, dear Lord Jesus, what am I going to do with all of the time that I'm going to get back? And even though that's an exciting prospect, at the time it was really overwhelming. Firstly, because I realized how much time I was spending drinking. Yes. Like every single afternoon for hours. Entire weekends getting taken up by ordering drinks, drinking, recovering from drinking. And then you look back at the weekend going, what did I even do? And you forget everything. (laughs) You forgot it all anyway. I forgot it all anyway. (laughs) But I did. I was looking down the barrel of like really big vacuous spaces Mm. in time and I was like, 
what am I going to do? Turns out there's plenty of stuff to do other than drinking, guys. So Who knew? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I've done them all now. <laughs> Just to draw a parallel on this whole idea of using food as a coping mechanism and drinking for a coping mechanism, these two are so aligned. If mm-hmm. anyone listening hasn't ever thought about them. So often we do emotional eating as a way of soothing ourselves. We might go, oh, I've had a really shit day. I just need to go on the couch and I just need to eat whatever. And that's how I'm going to process through tough times. Mm. And we also celebrate with food. So sometimes you go, oh my goodness, it's such a win today. I'm going to go get myself a pastry or six and go home and <laughs> celebrate on the couch. Yeah. Uh, so it is one way for us to self-soothe and alcohol is another way. So totally. what we're doing with both of those things is we're saying, hey, what I'm feeling right now is too hard for me to process alone. And this is going to help me self-soothe. The issue is with alcohol, I mean, there's a few issues, but one of the issues is, is it really is that whole throwing gasoline onto our problem. So we kind of postpone that feeling. We have a momentary lull of going, oh, I feel a bit better, maybe a little blip of 10 minutes. Mm. And then as we start to get those withdrawal symptoms, serotonin, dopamine, a whole bunch of stuff starts to change. And it means that we actually go into a worse place. You come Mm -hmm. out of that hungover going, ugh that did not soothe, that did not help. And so we stay stuck in this vicious cycle of needing to self-soothe with food and with alcohol. And there is such a parallel between how we use these things, which we talk about in a lot more detail in Booze Break. Mm. But I just wanted to point it out there. Great, great pointing out. Wholeheartedly agree (laughs) with everything you say. Yeah. Can we talk a bit about your relationship with food and your body image? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Talk to me through like at the time when you were this like big celeb, mm. you know, you were a household name. For me growing up, I was like, I'm cool. I knew who Maz Compton was. Like, <laughs> I watched you on TV as like a kid going, she's super cool. How did mm. it feel to be thrown in the limelight and people looking at you, assessing you? Did it impact your body image? A hundred percent and not in a great way. So this is something that I talk a little bit in my book about. I touch on it. I absolutely exercised because I hated my body. And I, when I got the job on MTV, the fact that I got it and I wasn't a model, as in, yeah, I'm five foot one, guys. <laughs> I'm a pocket rocket. So I think the reason, one of the reasons that I got the job on MTV was because I was different, but it was really difficult to accept that I was the difference. So I think I just, I punished my body because I didn't want to, get any more different. And I don't know that the people who made these particular comments meant it in a way that would really impact me, but I've, I had a stylist, you know, complain that I was too big because I didn't fit into a sample size and then basically cancel a photo shoot because they were like, she's too big. And so I had this narrative constantly that I wasn't good enough, but then I had this job that was saying, and all of these people that were saying that I was amazing and I was the girl next door. And, you know, so I had this constant conflict and constant, like really negative self-talk going on. And I feel like there is definitely a part of me that was in the very tiny back of my brain that was constantly going, just enjoy this because one day they will figure it out and you'll just lose your job and they'll get someone hotter. Mm. And that was that was a real fear of mine. And then over the years, you know, like they hired this girl, this girl Lindsay Rodriguez, who's still a very great friend of mine, but they, and she was a model, but they 
I feel like they pit us against each other. And so we had a really tough time because we were really great buddies, but they would like send her on one assignment and then me on the, like it was so cutthroat. And this was in like my family fold of MTV family. And Lindsay and I have talked about this. She she works at Kindred Official now and she's a mom and she's got a cute bub and we bonded over that and she had me on her podcast and we were able to actually really unpack some of that toxic behaviour that some of the people who worked there had and the impact and effect that it had on us. But from a personal point of view, I grew up with a mum who was always drinking skim milk and skim everything and low-cal and so that was just like, you know, screamed into me and I feel like I just got on that bandwagon of like, well, I'll do the lemon detox diet. I'll do this detox. I'll do the beetroot diet. I'll do the cabbage soup diet. Like I just did them all. But it sounds like your drinking was so correlated with this idea of this imposter syndrome of feeling like your body wasn't good enough. You weren't pretty enough. You weren't, you know, what you thought they needed you to be. Totally. And so you drank as a way to self-soothe. Yeah, because those feelings were so real and so big and I couldn't let that get in the way of the job that I had to do, right? It's such a big bloody deal. I mean, people who say something like, oh, worrying about your weight is just vanity. Like, come on, it's not a big deal. No, to a woman, we've been taught our entire lives that this is our very worth, that our essence of who we are, we are only as good as how pretty we are. And that is conditioned into us from the day we are born pretty much. And our mothers tell it to us and the people around us tell it to us in our magazines and everyone feels it. And we're all controlled by this so that when we're growing up, we never feel pretty enough. So there you were, you know, the height of your career, everyone else looking up to you going, oh my goodness, this girl has it all. And you having this internal I have not arrived. I am not good enough. Totally. And then you get to, you get older and you get to a point where you go, oh, I wish I could have looked the way I did back then. But you just know that you didn't like yourself back then either. And I think, you know. It's so, Lindy, it's so layered. Like when you really start to like open Pandora's box on it, it's just (laughs) like, holy crap, like what have I been through? (laughs) What have I put myself through? And like all you'd want to tell that younger self is, God, you're great right now. And just to to hold on to this fact that you are exactly doing what you're meant to do. And Mm. I think we have this idea of if I lost weight, I would be happier and things would be better. And that's just not, not the case. It's not the case. And I know that for a fact because I have like I said, I've done all of those detox bits and pieces and yeah, like you lose a bit of weight pretty quickly because you're literally just eating beetroot for two weeks. You're wee and purple poo. Yeah. hundred percent like burgundy. It was, (laughs) that was probably my favorite part of it because I was like, this is hilarious. This is almost comical, (laughs) but I would drop weight and I would look rail thin. I would look unhealthily thin and I would still be unhappy. Yeah. You know, and so just never served me. And and you were right when the alcohol was absolutely a part of that whole equation for me where I was working in this industry which I loved, like I loved and I couldn't even believe it. I think that's part of it too. I was like, I can't even believe this. I don't deserve this. And it all really spins around to this big self-worth question and I didn't have enough of it. And it wasn't ingrained in me. It wasn't instilled in me. And I was, I was pit against other women in my industry. And it was, it was just not, it was just toxic. 
Want to stop binge and emotional eating for good? Understand the cause of these habits, learn how to deal with afternoon or evening binges and get the number one tool you need to break up with binging for good with my free five-day course. This means no more hiding food wrappers, eating in secret or feeling guilt and shame around your eating behaviors. Instead, you'll learn how to regain control over food, make peace with your body and stop being consumed by thoughts of food all the time. Sign up to my free course in the show notes and experience the life-changing transformation for yourself. I think the reason I do any of this work is because I want the next generation. So anyone listening, if you've got kids, I think if we can change how the next generation gets raised, especially Mm -hmm. our little girls and Mm -hmm. give them this sense of like a deep self-worth, like this inner confidence where they just like themselves, they freaking like themselves. It's very hard to push around someone or bully someone or put them into compromising positions when they really respect and like themselves. I think about all the times in my life where I've been vulnerable and I've allowed shitty things to happen to me and people to like take advantage of me. It's just because I had poor self-esteem and Mm self-worth. So this is everything that we're doing. Talk to me now about your sense of self-worth, right? Yeah. You've been on a journey, right? Man, I'm so on the journey. So when so that first month that I stopped drinking, I wrote a journal. Every I'm a mad hardcore journaler, love journaling. Don't have heaps of time for it these days, but I made a real like thing about journaling every day. I was like, of this 30 day thing that I'm doing in January 2015, I want to commit to journaling. And so there were days where it was like I would write pages and pages, and then there were other days where I didn't feel like writing anything. So I would write about that rather than use that as an excuse to skip a day. And then I got to the end of the month and I kind of parked the journal and then I sort of decided I'm going to get to my birthday and then I'll get to the mid-year and like it just naturally progressed. I, I did not set out in January 2015 to never drink again. I just was like, this is working for me. Like I have sat with the suck. I'm feeling a little bit better now. And I felt like for me, journaling was probably helping to process those emotions rather than suppress those emotions, which is what I was doing with alcohol. But a few months in, maybe even a year in, I reread my journal. And that is where I fell in love with myself because <laughs> I read about this girl who was broken but was just so keen to shape a better future for herself by making big and bold choices. And I read about this girl who was so confused about things that had happened in the past but wanted to write them for her own self-worth. And I read about this girl who was just bold enough and brave enough to make a really daring choice and stick with it because it was working for her despite people's backlash and people's opinions. And I just, I read about this girl and I was like, she's so amazing. She's so cool. And then I was like, that's me. Like it was really like a really profound, like amazing experience. And that's where I then started to do the work. And I was like, you're enough. You're okay. And it's definitely something that I still wrestle with. Absolutely. Like I have, you know, since then become a mum, and that's another area, man. Oh my gosh. The identity crisis that happens when you become a mother. And the mum guilt and the, I'm like, that's been a whole other beast for me, but I'm so glad I figured 
that part of my self-worth story at that point in my life because I was able to develop really great tools to deal with those bigger things that come up like when life just throws you a curveball, you know, I've fashioned this really great response mechanism to really crappy stuff that comes my way. And I feel like that is serving me really well in this season of life. Because self-worth, right, we're not going to go from really crappy, crumbly self-worth to freaking liking ourselves the next day. It is almost like climbing a ladder. And so Mm -hmm. each time we're doing these big, brave kinds of investigations into ourselves, we're kind of getting that one step closer to being someone who's innately cool and likes themselves, right? Yeah. And so- the one thing that I la- I have landed on, because I have thought about that experience a lot in, in the nine years that I, almost nine years that I haven't had a drink. And what I kind of landed on was this. So the essence of me has never changed. My opinion of it has. So the girl who was writing in that journal who'd stopped drinking for that season was still me. I just had a really shitty version of who she was in my brain and I redefined my version of who I was. But I've always been me. Does that make sense? Like my body's always been my body. I just used to hate it and now love it, right? And it's the same body. And it it is the I mean, it's the same body. Like my boobs are a little bit hanging a bit lower <laughs> these days because I breastfed a kid. But other than that, like pretty, pretty much. Yes. And regardless of this, if this body is bigger or smaller or wobblier or whatever, it's still mine. And so taking ownership over that was really powerful for me as well to go, this is mine to love and this is this is meant to be the temple, right? So I'm going to treat it with some respect. I think when it comes to health, we're so often chasing this behavior change. I have to change the behavior and then like everything else is going to fall in. But you change your thoughts of something and then the behavior tends to shift. So you changed your perspective of yourself. You did change your behavior as well. But mm. a whole bunch of other flow on effects happened as a result of you going, I'm going to start to think differently and challenge myself a little bit. Yeah. And this is why we're talking about the credit this product called Boost Break. And the reason we created it is because we were like, I did this little experiment as well where I've, you know, I'm not drinking alcohol right now and just seeing how long it lasts, who knows? Yeah. And it's freaking great. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. And so if you're listening, we're kind of going, maybe there is this huge transformation that's waiting for you. And it's not this silly before and after weight loss challenge mm-hmm. transformation that you've been promised, but a much more intrinsic, deeper self-worth transformation that could be just around the corner for you. And it takes a bit of a gamble to go, let me make this behavior change, which is, you know, removing something that, you know, is probably tied to a whole bunch of embarrassing, regretful or guilt fueled moments for you. And going on a little experiment to say, how do I feel without this for a little bit? And it's not a life sentence. It's just a little booze break. Mm. And you can determine how long you want your booze break to last. What we're suggesting is that you start off with 30 days. And if you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. I don't mind this. 60, 90. After 90 days, your brain's had a chance to rewire itself. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we talk about in boost break is this idea of how it impacts your impulse control centers. And you can actually be a whole lot more consistent when you find you're not drinking alcohol. Did you find that? Yes. So after the first 30 days, I somewhere in around like day 22, 23, 
I legit woke up and I was like, did I take the pill from the matrix? Because everything looked different. Everything, like it sounds a bit cheesy, but I swear I woke up because the sunlight hit me on the face and I opened my eyes and the sun was glistening off the trees and the birds were chirping a little louder. Like really, I was really spaced out. I was like, this feels really weird, but like beautiful and amazing. And what I realized was that's clarity. That was actually, this is how we're meant to see the world. This is how we're meant to exist in the space that we're in. And I was so aware, like my my senses were all really heightened. And I was like, have I just been running on a 60, 60% capacity for basically my entire adult life because I have been drinking and drinking has been dumbing me down and dulling down my senses. And I realized like, okay, if this is how I'm meant to see the world and exist in it, then this is this is where it's at. And that is why I think from there I was like, let's just keep going and see how we go. And I, again, like in that time, I never did a never, never. I wasn't like, I'm never drinking again. And I didn't demonize alcohol. I was like, I'm just better without it. So I'll just stick with the not having it until and see how long that lasts. And it's, it's been nearly nine years. <laughs> it's like, been a good experiment. Yeah, yeah. The experiment is still going strong, guys. This is what I'd like people to know as well. It's like you don't have to wait until you have a problem with alcohol to stop drinking. For me, I was drinking maybe one standard drink a day mm. and it still was having a big impact on my mood, on my anxiety, on my mental clarity, on, oh my goodness, oh, so many things. And for you, it was also, you weren't ticking boxes of having alcohol use disorder and yet you still took this plunge and go, I'm going to try something different yeah. because I came for a different outcome. Yeah. Now, if anyone, if you are listening and going, oh, is a booze break right for me? I'd love you to give it a go. We were like, all right, how do we give you booze break for free? And so you can listen to the first episode of Booze Break totally for free and be like, what's this all about? Find out more about it. Um, What you can do is go to myboozebreak.com and go check it out. Go get that freebie. It's also on the podcast. So as you're listening, if you scroll back a few episodes, you're going to find that it's right there waiting for you. So you can go ahead and start listening to it right now. I think a really great question that people can ask themselves if they're not sure, if they're like, well, you know, Maz said she was drinking a bottle of wine a day and that sounds outrageous. And then other people might be like, Maz said she was drinking a bottle of wine a day and I drink three. Like, you know, I think it's sometimes unhelpful to talk about amounts because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much matters is how it's impacting you. So whatever your relationship with alcohol is, the question is, I cool with it. Are you cool with how alcohol is showing up in your world? If you cool with it, take a break anyway and see if anything shifts. And if you're not cool with it, then take a break and see what shifts. So my advice is whether you are okay with your relationship with alcohol or whether it's feeling a little uncomfortable, either way, a bit of time away just gives you space to reassess and see what part you want it to play in your world moving forward. So we don't have to make huge commitments. We don't have to say we're never drinking again. We just got to give it a little bit of a trial to see how it goes. And of course, all your big questions will be answered in booze break. So things like, how do I stop drinking and then not end up binge drinking afterwards? How do I not turn to food for comfort if I'm reducing or pulling back from alcohol completely? Why is it that we can you know, create a restriction around alcohol, but we wouldn't do the same for food? Why, mm-hmm. why are they being treated differently? I know it's all a bit nuanced and a bit crazy. We're answering all those questions in booze break. And if you're going, 
I'm not sure, am I someone who needs to do this? We also have a free quiz that you can give a go and go, what kind of drinker am I? Am I a social drinker, a binge drinker, or am I just totally cool and healthy with my relationship with alcohol already? What you can do is hop onto Instagram and you can send me a DM, write a comment under any of my posts that say booze quiz, and you can get that quiz and just start filling it out and get some results, get some clarity, do some internal work. I mean, that sounds like boring and unfun. (laughs) Just ask yourself some simple questions. That's it. Maz, thank you so much for being on No Wellness Wankery. If anyone listening would like to go and check out Maz, you can follow Mm. her. Maz underscore Compton. Just Maz Compton. Just Maz Compton, no underscore. Just Maz Compton. Just Maz, you know, just she is the Maz Compton. One, the only Maz Compton on Instagram. I have a podcast called Last Drinks. It's bloody good. Please go listen to it. There's, yeah, there's a ton of really great conversations with people who don't drink and it's celebrities that you might know like Osha and David Campbell have shared their stories and Yumi Steins and then people who write in the sober space to just random people like Libby who I used to do yoga with a few years ago. <laughs> so if you're curious, that podcast is so good. And your book, you are now an author. Hey, yeah. And it's called Last Drinks and I read it when I was on my recent holiday mm. and I loved it. Thank you. Thank, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so grateful. It's a pleasure. And thanks for being my booze break buddy. Oh, thank you. Hey, I've got a question for you. Does binge eating feel like your dirty secret? And are you sick of trying to be good, but falling off the bandwagon and losing control around food? If so, I can help. Binge Free Academy teaches you how to beat binge eating and feel in control around food giving you doable evidence-based strategies. You'll get lifetime access to 30 practical step-by-step video lessons, 12 group coaching calls with me, and become part of my Binge Free Academy community for life. As a recovered binge eater, I get it. I know there's no quick fix or one-stop shop for binge eating. And so that's why I want to give you the ongoing support and care you need and deserve. And I'm so confident it will help you that I'm offering you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So no risk, all reward. You can take control over your food and your life. And I think it's the best investment you'll ever make towards reclaiming your life, your health, and your happiness. To learn more about Binge Free Academy, you can click the link in the show notes or go to lindycohen.com slash binge-free-academy.